Welcome everyone, we're about to begin Be'ez Hashem, uh, BPJ number 75, that's Bais Benimi joint Shear, Shear number 75. And we were talking last Shear about the concept of Taim Surah, the concept that the Torah will sometimes allow something because they know that by not allowing it, it'll create a stronger Cheshik to do that Isser, and how important it is to be extremely careful to avoid excessive chumras for that reason. The Gemar Cholin has another fascinating concept in Daf Kuf Tesam Abeis, 109b, that Yalta, who was the husband of Rab Nachman, told Rab Nachman that whatever the Torah assured, whatever the Torah forbade, they p- permitted, the Torah permitted something that's comparable to it. So, for example, the Torah said, you're not allowed to consume animal blood. But it allowed liver, which has, you have to remove the blood, but it has that sort of tam of that dam within it. It is usur, you're not allowed to marry your brother's ex-wife, but in Yibum, it becomes permitted. You're not allowed to live with a non-Jewish woman, but by Yifas Tayar, it's permitted as we discussed in last year. And she said, I want to taste milk and meat, and then it goes further into that. So, what Yalta, Rav Nachman's wife, was introducing in this Gemara, that the Gemara decided to bring it down, is that all this that the Torah forbade, it also permitted in a certain way, is not a coincidence. She mentioned a good few examples and she was telling Rav Nachman that this is not uh, just a mikra. It's Ashkacha Pratis, and it's a principle here. It is a principle here. And from this principle, Rav Nachman's wife said, give me something that is tastes like Basa Bechalav. And that counterpart exists in the Torah. Every Isser has a counterpart heter against it. It has to exist. It's a big sight. It has to exist. And that comforting, consoling knowledge that there's something permitted, that there's a permitted outlet for an expression of every single desire and every single instinct, that there's a permitted outlet that Torah does allow a satisfaction of every desire and every instinct that itself gives us the ability to have self-control, to be moderate about it, to restrain in a, in a healthy way, and to have a healthy balance. What happens is, if you answer something without thought, without Chazal telling you to do this, you're creating a condition that opens up for fascination and obsession and abuse. Someone that is obsessed with whether a picture, a tzniyistik, a picture should be in this magazine in, 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 or in an art scroll book or whatever it is, or that you wipe out the faces or, or whatever it is, and they're totally obsessed with that, it creates a fascination and an obsession and an abuse in that area. And in a way, you become even more perverse However, if you allow it, 
a hetedika thing I'm talking, then it gives you the ability to pull back. It's mutter anyway. So I'm not going to use it in an unhealthy way. When it's healthy, I'm going to utilize it. And when not, not. But if you assess something that's mutter, if you prohibit something that's in in fact permitted, you're creating a dark, exciting enhancement of it. The Chumrah creates an enticement now. I want to violate it. And that creates terrible, terrible damage. That is why, no matter what culture you're in in the Jewish world, whether males and females are very separate from one another, and those, those ones that they're more, there's more interaction. In the Chalitvisha world, generally, there is somewhat more interaction with the opposite gender than in some Hasidic cultures. And even within Hasidic cultures, it varies. Modern Orthodox a different way, and young Israel a different way, and so on and so forth. But no matter what, there is interactions that are to take place, because Hashem designed it that way, and one needs to learn how to interact in a health, in a healthy way. Do you say good morning or thank you on a regular normal encounter or you just ignore as if they don't exist this these i'm not going to get into that now but the bottom line is is there's healthy ways to interact in the right way a total bittle of it creates an obsession the total uh obsession of separation between man and woman in an obsessive way creates that actually you are tied to that more than anything else. The ones obsessed with the big mechitzes and wiping out faces and all of those things to, to, to a crazy extreme degree, both men and women, they'll think about men and women all day long. It's just the way it is. To disassociate yourself, you have to sort of understand there's a balance, follow the Torah, and move on. The Torah clearly both philosophically and historically and entirely actively and enthusiastically encourages marriage and sexual intimacy within the marital relationship. The Taira encourages healthy, vibrant sexual intimacy within the marital relationship, period. The Hebrew word for marriage, the first one, kedushin, is sanctification. That's the Jewish attitude towards marriage. If you're not married, and thus not sexually intimate with one's wife or husband, the Torah is very sharp in giving that person musr. The Torah does not want you, even if you're a Kaddish, and you're able to control your Yetzahara, and you you don't fall into things because you're able to train your mind that way, the Torah does not want that. Unless you're Moshe Rabbeinu, where over there it says, You stay with me. Everyone else, Go to your tents. That's what Hashem wants. Not to be married, and therefore not to be sexually intimate with your husband or a wife, the Torah does not approve of. Period. Not just because of having children and the midst violating the Pruvu that the Torah wants, but even in and of itself, even putting aside the pru or vu, 
it's clear from Chazal that Torah wants every man and woman to be married, and then while married, to be sexually intimate with one's husband, with one's wife. Rabbi Loza says in Yovam Estach Gimel, any man who is not married is not a man. Enoi Adam, he's not even a man. Zachar onekeva bara oisam vayikra shemam, together Adam. They're all Adam, male and female. Without male and female, you're not Adam. Bracious Rabbah, same thing. You're Zion Oisbeis. Rabbi Hanina Chia ben Bargamda. He is not a complete man. Because Hashem says that He blessed them. He called them Adam. Both of them together are called Adam, says the Bracious Rabbah. Perek Yud Zion. Rav Tanchum, in the name of Rav Chaniloi. This is both in Yevamis Samach Beis and in Bereshis Rabbah, also Yud Zion, that any man who does not have a wife dwells without happiness, without blessing, without goodness. In Eretz they added the Lushan there without Torah, without protection. Rabbah Barullah also says they're without peace. Rabbi Yaakov adds without a helper, without atonement. Rabbi Shua Shachnin in the name of Rabbi Levi says, also without life, it's not life. At Kedekach. The Zayim Pashas Nasai says, any Kayan who is not married cannot do the Avaida, as it says that the, that the, that the Kayan should be Mechape Vechipe Ba'adoi Uva'ad Beisai. Gemara Yuma, Dafi Gimel Amid Aleph. Rabbi Yitzchak says, because the, the Shechina does not rest on one who is not married. The Kayhanim need more than anyone else in the nation to have that Shechina rest upon them, and they need to be married. So halachically, whether a single Kayan could do the Avaid or not, I, I don't know the halacha aspect of it, but certainly on the Ashkafa aspect of it, the way the Zoya writes it is, a Kayan to properly do the Avaid in the base of Migdash, or any type of Avaid needs to be married. And married includes sexual intimacy with his wife. That's clear as day. So you see here, the Torah does encourage marriage. The Torah does encourage marital intimacy, but holds back on this Tamadi Surah. Does not want something, you know, if something's Usr, it's Usr. Right? Certain things, Gili Arayas. Ashes Ish. Certain Kravim, Arayas. Totally forbidden. Off limits, period. Tyre wants that too. But when it's mutter, it's mutter and it becomes a mitzvah in most cases, or in many cases, or possibly even all cases. This is the issue of Christianity. They basically, I'm talking about the Catholics, the original ones, compromise by grudge begrudgingly. It's a bidi eved. To get married is a bidiyeved. Meaning that Nebuch, the high ideal is, is to be celibate. To be a kadosh means to not to be married, not to taste sexuality whatsoever. It's just that because the masses can't handle that, so they allowed you to get married because it's better to marry than to be burning in Gehenim. So they allow you to get married. But the ideal is 
is not to get married. What's fascinating is, it's a theory brought down with the Middle Ages that the Jews in the Middle Age is especially, whether it's all historically, were, were, were known to be very brilliant, while in the non-Jewish culture, not so. Why? One of the theories was, is because the ones that were brilliant in the non-Jewish world, especially in the Christian world, which was completely widespread at a certain point in the end of the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, the most brightest and the most literate of the non-Jews became priests who did not marry and did not bear children. And therefore, their line became extinct because they never got married. While by Jews, the geniuses got married too. So that's a fascinating theory. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. And it's nothing that I researched, so it's really not so important. But it's a fascinating concept. So just like we said in the last year about the Tamadi Surah, we talked about the historical prohibition in the United States of alcohol that inspired a severe abuse of alcohol. Same thing over there with Christianity, that even though Christianity at the end allowed marriage, there was a stigma attached to marriage, and there was a stigma attached to intimacy, sexual intimacy. There was a philosophical disapproval of that. And that created tremendous damage. What's fascinating is that on the Gemara, that they were censoring the, the Gemara then, the Christians, and on the Chazal of Rabbi Elazar that says that any man who is not married is not a man, meaning not a human being, quote-unquote, the, the Christian censors had problems with that. They demanded that it gets changed in the printings of the Gemara. Don't say any man who is not married is not a man, but just say any Jew who is not married is not a Jew. Because basically what the Christians say is, no, any man who is not married is a man, is an ideal man in the Christian view, because they are separate from the sexual altogether. So I don't want you to write in your Talmud that any man who is not married is not a man. Because in our culture, our world, the ideal is not to get married. Instead, write any Jew who is not married is not a Jew, because that's your philosophy. You the Christians say, you are perverts. You are the ones that are animalistics. You are the ones who cannot handle life without sexuality, so you, you are a lower breed. So you write, any Jew who is not married is not a Jew. Don't write, any human being who is not married is not a human being. Don't write, any Adam that is not married is not an Adam. And they really wanted to censor it. Whether they actually did or not, I'm not sure. To do research. So again, this Zayar quoted above that we just said, said, a Yid needs to get married. And by definition means being sexually intimate consistently with one's wife and one's husband. While the church requirement is that a priest or a monk or a nun or a bishop be unmarried and celibate. That is the difference in Hashkafa between the two. And therefore, this concept, and 
again, based on things that experience that I've known from people that have come over to me. Some say I heard one person talk tell me from a, a Rosh Hashiva of his that Rav Henkin said what I'm going to say, and some said they have a they have a couple that Rav Miller said what I'm going to say. Okay, so I have two again. I, I don't know firsthand, but the two sources from what I heard is Rav Henkin, who lived in the here in America in the 30s, 40s, 50s. I don't know exactly when he was nifter, but but with by the sixties, the late sixties, he was already um, in the next world. But he did a lot of gitin. He did a lot of divorces halachically in America. And Ravigda Miller said this too: that ninety ninety plus percent of divorces is because of issues of not having the proper hashkafa in the intimate sexual area. That's an amazing statement. And I will say again and again, it could be when you're younger or in certain situations, a marriage is negatively affected because they're hyper-focused on the sexual area and it's out of balance. They're not a mensch and they only want to be physical. That's true. That's a problem. But most marriages, especially after two, three years of marriage and beyond, most marriages get damaged by the lack of healthy sexual intimacy. Not because it's overly done. It's because it's underdone. That's clear as day. And therefore, we have to follow the Tyra's view. If you become too much of a Kaddish, you'll end up falling You'll end up being a big Talmud Chacham a Rav, a Talmud Chacham a Goyin Oilam, but if his wife is, not, is so tzniistic that she's not intimate, or rarely intimate, and is not able to express herself to him the way he really needs, he will end up watching things, or he'll end up hiding magazines of women in underwear under his bed. Because his wife is shut to Nua, and vice versa too. A wife that can't get the normal human healthy sexuality that he need, she needs from her husband, Shalom, she could turn to the wrong places. You have to cut through the facade and understand human nature the way the Rabbonim experience it in day to day life as people come to them, and not to hide behind the rug, underneath the rug. And to acknowledge that this is what Hashem wants. In order to stay away from the negative influences of sexuality, you have to embrace it in a healthy way in marriage. Together with everything else that marriage requires. But it needs to be embraced in marriage. Baruch